It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Demo of Detroit, beats on the check. Hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw them buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. Find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch says stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on their pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Throw Gretch. the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch. Yeah. 
welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of six books and an award-winning sports reporter for the New York Times. He's uh, turned his interests now to how saints are made in a new book called The Saint Makers Inside the Catholic Church and How a War Hero Inspired a Journey of Faith. His name is Joe Drape. He joins me by phone. Joe, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks for having me this morning. How does a an award-winning sports writer for the New York Times take an interest in how saints are made? Well, that's a good question. Probably right? not a lot of them at the news desk at the uh, Times. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all, Tom. You know, what happened with this one is all my books have been in sports. And one of them, I moved my family to Kansas in 2008 to write about a high school football team. And it's there. It was rural Kansas, center of Kansas, Smith Center. And I heard about this priest named Father M.L. Capon. And he died at the age of 35 in a Korean prisoner of war camp. And he was subsequently awarded the Medal of Honor by President Obama. He was, had this just wonderful biography of a regular farm boy who found his calling as a military chaplain went to war both in World War II where he got the Bronze Star and then in Korea where he ultimately met his death, but not before saving hundreds of soldiers' lives and basically keeping their spirits up without ever picking a rifle up. So he was revered in this part of the country. At the same time, they were trying to make him a saint. And I'd grown up parochial and Jesuit educated, and even I didn't really know what a saint was. So that sort of set me off uh, down the path. I was thinking about this guy. I knew he had a remarkable biography. I was curious about the saint-making process, which I discovered was as Byzantine and as rooted in ancient history as you would imagine. And then the third component sort of came together after I got the first two underway is that I realized that, you know, my faith was not in bad shape, but I just sort of lost the rhythm. I, since I'm a sports writer, I'm going to use a metaphor that I had the yips. All of a sudden, I couldn't make a two-foot putt when it came to talking to God. So that set me off on this, and it's been a, a really rewarding experience. And how do, you, how do you start digging into that? Because... Uh, I was reading something said 1.2 billion Catholics, very few yeah. of them understand what goes on in the saint-making process. Where do you even start to look, and and how much access can you get? Well, the reporting took me from Kansas to the halls of the Vatican, and that was fun in its own right. Here's what I, I had a good start, and as a news reporter, how you go down any past stories, you just go as wide as possible and vacuum up every bit of information, read everything you can. Uh, I was really aided on Father Capon's case because there was a priest in Kansas named Father John Hotz who was in charge of basically assembling the information to make his case for sainthood. And he did it to such an extent that he sent 8,272 pages of testimony and documents to the Vatican. So, you know, there is raw material about his life. And then I went to the Rome and talked to the congregations of the causes of saints. 
And they gave me the process. I talked to several what they called postulators, which are canon lawyers. They're lawyers that specialize in this sort of ecclesiastical uh, ritual and routine. And, you know, I was able to put it together. And then there's academics who study. And from them, I've got fun facts like there's probably 10,000 saints. Many of them never existed. Uh, half of them are in Italy. Definitely, there's a home field advantage if you're Italian to become <laughs> a saint. Uh, that the average time elapsed between a candidate's death and his eventual canonization is 181 years. So, you know, I was able to put together uh, enough of the, the process, and then I just hung it on characters. There was a canon lawyer who has Father Capon's cause in Rome called Dr. Andrea Ambrose. And what a canon lawyer does is basically he's part lobbyist, he's part uh, defense lawyer, he's part uh, PR man for him. He gets in the halls of the Vatican and makes the case for the candidates he's representing. And, uh, you know, that was the other thing I discovered, Tom, is this is not cheap. Anybody who's ever engaged a lawyer in anything knows it's not <laughs> cheap. And, That's true. And, uh, and uh, you know, this cause is up to about $600,000. There are causes that have cost uh, more than a million. And, uh, you know, what I guess surprised me is it's also sort of a PR marketing tool that the Catholic Church uses. And we have Pope John Paul II to thank for that. He recognized that it was an under, underutilized uh, tool, that saints are the Catholic Church's superheroes. And if you give people they can ad admire and imitate and relate to, you're going to reach more people. Well, and and also it puts the spotlight on on what many could argue would be the best of the Catholic Church. Absolutely, Tom. And you know that's what there's two components to would-be saints. There's uh, life worth imitating, a life led in virtue. And what I soon discovered is I think the second part is even more important. They've got to be relatable. You have to see a little bit of yourself in these people that makes you want to emulate them. And that's why a Kansas farm boy priest who went to the military uh, resonates with so many people because that's very simple every day. You know, these are the people that make up America. And if they can look at Father Emil Capon and say, here's a guy who embodied courage, service, and faith, and did it quietly. That, that was the remarkable thing about this man is the Muslim soldiers loved him, the Jewish soldiers loved him, uh, the atheists loved him, the Protestants loved him. And it was because he never really forced himself on anybody. He was very concerned about the person as who they were and that they had some sort of faith that they believed in. And you know, those are all relatable things. And I certainly didn't write this book intending it to come out in the midst of a pandemic and a division <laughs> among um, po politics. But he truly is sort of a saint or a man for our times because he dealt with absolute cruelty and sickness in a Korean prison camp and was able to transcend it and lift men up with him to transcend it. I mean, 
time they were fed a fistful of bird seed a day. Mm-hmm. So what Father Capon did was he went and stole food. Uh, they had no clothes. He would sew socks together to make shirts and coats. Uh, he was a truly resourceful guy. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who looked past everybody's divisions and said, hey, you're good and I can your goodness and then was able to emulate and, you know, exude goodness himself. So, uh, you know, he's really kind of a guy to lift us all up right now. So is that um, one of the primary qualifications for sainthood is to be an ordinary person uh, who does extraordinary things? That's where, yes, that's very simply and well put. That's that's what it is, is, you know, uh, the point of being a saint is anybody can do it. And that's what the church and Pope John Paul II, who made more saints than anybody else, 482 of them, more than all of his predecessors together. That's an emphasis he put on it, is that, you know, he wants the everyday to become saints and to bridge that gap that you don't have to be a, you know, have extraordinary powers that we can all do our part to lead a saintly life. And at any given time, as you as you were researching this, Joe, what did you find out about at, at any given time, how many people are up for sainthood? Is there a short list? How how, uh, how does that happen? There's 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 2,500 or more right now in the pipeline. And what happens, Tom, is cases hot, they go dormant. And, you know, a lot of decision-making is made on sort of what... What does the world need? What does the Catholic Church need? And I'll give you an example of that. The last couple months, a 15-year-old Italian boy who died in 2006, a kid named Carlos Acutis, was beatified. And that puts you right on the doorstep of the sainthood. That means one miracle you were involved in has been approved. Now you're waiting for a second miracle. And he was basically reached that record time from 2006 to 2020. Now, I'm sure his case was strong and his virtue was, you know, you can't argue with it, but it was also about the fact that he was a computer genius who went viral for hunting down miracles online. And so the Catholic Church, that's good for business to say, okay, we are modern. We have this 15-year-old millennial saint and you see them deploy these sort of strategic decisions in various parts of the uh, world where either they want to convert more followers or they feel like they have to shore it up uh, latin america there's been a on latin american saints right now two areas they've identified is asia and africa so uh you know those causes that are in the pipeline they get a harder quicker look and, you know, they, they are not fast-tracked, but they're put on the schedule a little quicker because you have so many in the pipeline. More with New York Times sports reporter and author Joe Drape. Straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with New York Times sports reporter and author Jill Drape, straight ahead. And and what about the case for uh, for U.S. Um, for as as big and influential a country it is, and for as many Catholics as are here, and I, I might suggest maybe turning a little away from the church, it seems sort of surprising to me that we only have two saints. Well, we only have two born on American soil. There's seven in all. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, but they came, you know, from other countries. They were missionaries over here. And that is a dearth. I was surprised that there were so few American saints. And you know, what I discovered is, first of all, we think of ourselves as a young country. In the Vatican's eyes, we're even younger than our own self-perception. Until 1908, we were just considered a territory by the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, we only had one archbishop, which is the authority here. You know, now there's dozens of them across the U.S., but we only had uh, one until 1938. They added three more. So you have that problem. Uh, the other thing that undercuts is, is what you said, that we do have a Catholic Church that's fairly strong. So, uh, you know, there's no real rush to shore up the Catholic Church here. I think in Father Capon's case and then the other Americans in general, I, the priest, being a priest, is not a good thing. The rest of the world blames the sexual abuse scandal on the American church. And, you know, that was said to me, and I do, I I just know that to be true, and I write about it. And the second thing is, you know, you alluded to it, our power. Uh, We are a large military power, just like a lot of the world doesn't like us for our capitalism or for whatever else. uh, We aren't popular when it comes to how we use that power. So I think that undercuts some of the American saints as well, or American candidacies. But yeah, it it is something that it is an imbalance, uh, you know, jealousy. I don't know what exactly it is, but there's really no rush to start canonizing a bunch of American saints. Were you surprised at at how uh, involved the infrastructure for uh, selecting a saint was? We we always have the impression that saints sort of pop up out of nowhere. It's it's like somebody does somebody uh, you know something extraordinary and and then they become a saint and then nobody thinks about saints again until the next one. Well, and I was surprised, and I was surprised at the evolution. I mean. There's, in the beginning, it was more or less a voice vote. If me and you decided one of our neighbors was a man of holiness, we just would call him a saint, and that would be handed down the oral tradition. You know, some of the most famous saints really didn't exist. St. Christopher, the patron saint of travel, is by a legend. And the legend is he was a giant who lived next to a river. His job was to carry people across the river, thus the travel. One day he picks up a toddler, three or four-year-old boy, hardest crossing ever. He almost drowns. The kid was just unbearable weight. When he gets him to the other side, the young boy says, I'm Jesus. You carried heaven, earth, my church, and 
the world on your shoulders. That's why it was so hard. But, you know, he didn't exist. That was a legend. So in the 1500s, the popes, the Vatican said, okay, we do need to put a little more rigorous system in here and do put some regimen and discipline here. And so they came up with a thing that you had to have four miracles. And in the eyes of the church, a miracle has two components. One, it's a remarkable recovery from death or near death that cannot be explained by medicine or science. But the most most important component is this recovery occurred because your family, your community prayed to a particular uh, person, in this case, Father Capon, for him to intercede with God on the loved one's behalf and save him. And that shows that Father Capon is in heaven next to God and has basically the, the pull to pull something like this off. So, you know, in the beginning, you took four of those. Again, it goes back to John Paul, too, is that he decided that was too cumbersome, but so we're only going to make it two. And then St. Saint Francis, Pope Francis, has in some cases uh, canonized saints with just one miracle. So the, the the thing is evolving. Uh, the 181 years, I think, shows that it's taken seriously. That what does happen, Tom, is that a theological panel is convened from experts all over the world to look at the life and the virtue. A historical panel of experts is convened to make sure that the story was accurate and in context, and then a medical panel to investigate the miracles. And these things take time, and, uh, you know, they're vetted very, very rigorously. What constitutes a miracle by today's standards? You suggested that uh, uh, coming back from a a death or a near-death experience is is one possibly, but but what kinds of things might this 15-year-old be finding in his search of the Internet for miracles? Well, a a miracle, the miracle still is something happens that that is pretty. The 15-year-old lived a life of virtue and helped others become saints. Now, that, that was what his deal, but to get beatified, somebody had to pray to him to intervene and they're usually all medical tom father capon's case it's a pole vaulter a college-age pole vaulter who cracked his skull literally in half uh was on a machine they thought no way he's going to come back and if he does it'll be in a vegetative state and you know they put a facebook page up his parish prayed for him the lobby of the hospital was there all praying to father capon and miraculously, he came to barely anything wrong after about 30 days. So, uh, you know, that's one of the miracles they're pitching. And the other involves a 12-year-old youth soccer player, a young girl who collapsed one day on a field and goes to the hospital for 87 days. Don't really know what's wrong with her. She's on a later. She's on kidney machines. And they take her off thinking that... Uh, you know, they're going to let her die humanely. And she opens her eyes immediately and breathes on her own. She begins recognizing people within hours, and then she's talking the next day. And, you know, as remarkable as those sounds, the investigators then come to them, come to the doctors, and the doctors have to admit 
and they did admit in both cases that there is no medical explanation for this to happen. Uh, you know, we did this, this, and this. Nothing worked. Uh, they were near death or as near as death as possible. We didn't expect them to survive, and they, here they survived. You said that that the miracles are typically medical. Is is that because those are easier to prove in theological terms? You, there are measurements that that say whether science did it or faith did it. Yes, and I I'd say they're easier to prove in secular terms. I mean, you know, the miracles, uh, you know, and I'm just kind of making this up. I mean. Turning water into wine, I don't think could be proved or could be explained by a magician's trick or something like that. I mean, uh, the medical thing is there is a clear act that occurred. There's uh, a fact set that you can lay over them, and they can be investigated. So I, that's why they're medical. Yeah, it just seems like there's, uh, you know, there are ways to to measure and verify, and it would be very difficult, you, you know, in the water turning into wine example, that, um, you know, that would be difficult to prove that it that it wasn't a stunt of some sort. Exactly. Exactly. Um. In the process of doing this, you, you said it strengthened your your faith a little bit or, or honed it a little bit. Um, Joe, do you believe that there are miracles that aren't being measured and proven by this process? Uh, yes, I do, Tom. That's a that's a great question, and uh, you know, I think there's everyday miracles that happen and occurrences and coincidences that uh, are put in our way and should be regarded as such. And, you know, a minor miracle that I wrote this book, and I don't think it's, it's by accident. It was something that stuck with me in 2015. You know, I first heard him in 2008. In 2015, an editor asked me if I'd ever thought of doing anything outside sports. And this immediately popped into my head. You know, I hadn't been thinking about it. Uh, and then it was, I think it popped in my head is because somebody, God, my higher power, whatever faith anybody has, wanted me to explore my, my state of affairs when it came to spirituality. And, you know, that's what set me off on this is that, uh, you know, I'll use my, one of my sports metaphors. I had the yips. I couldn't make a two-foot putt when it came to connecting with God. I had all the tools. I'd been educated in it. I knew prayers and all that, but something wasn't really connecting correctly for me. And that set me off. You know, Father Capon set me off on a search, and I read the books of my youth, I looked for new things, and it really didn't come clear to me what had happened until I had lunch with a Jesuit priest, a guy named Jim Martin, and he asked me if I prayed. And I said, yeah, and he said, how? And I said, our fathers, Hail Marys, the usual things. He said, what do you pray for? And I said, nothing really, I guess gratitude. And he said, well, you have a teenage son. Now, if something was bothering him or he was troubled, 
wouldn't you want him to come to you and talk to you about it? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, that's what God wants you to do. And he asked me a question, which I'm embarrassed to even repeat right now. He said, have you ever thought of praying to Father Capone? And in all that time, it had never occurred to me to pray to him. And, uh, you know, that's what it was. I guess my epiphany was I wasn't putting effort in being present and searching for an authentic spiritual dialogue. And, you know, I'm very careful about this. I'm not saved. I'm not, you know, on my way to sainthood by any means, but I'm more aware that I need to put more effort into this aspect of my life. And I think that just makes me a better husband, father, neighbor, you know, and, and I have, I have more bad days and I have good days, but the fact that even try to get up thinking, let's do, th- let's do things right today, you know, gives me a, a little more comfort. Are you a lifelong, would you consider yourself a lifelong Catholic, Joe? Yes, I, I am. And, you know, I'm a cultural Catholic too. I mean, I grew up in a parish where uh, everybody was involved. I sent my, son to a similar place and we did the PTAs and went on the field trips uh, you know to me being Catholics very much about community and knowing your neighbors and trusting your neighbors that you share similar values so yes I am uh, but I also you know I'm open whatever anybody's faith is is great whatever higher power they look up to and just you know, I grew up this way, so I don't think there's one true way. Well, I, I I asked that question really to kind of set up this one. Were you surprised when you started researching and writing this book to find out how much there was uh, going on in the Catholic Church that you hadn't learned about? Yeah, I was surprised, but it also reinforced some things that I already knew. I mean, I wasn't happy with aspects of the church of how they handled the sexual abuse scandal. Uh, I think they should be more inclusive of people. Uh, What it reinforced is it's an old uh, bureaucracy, like centuries-old bureaucracy, run by white men. You've got to be a little careful there, Joe, or you might end up a Protestant. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, you know, that, that, that's exactly, that's why, you know, the Protestants, I do remember that from my catechism education, is that the Catholics are the one true church, in in quote, quotation marks, because it traces all the way back to Jesus, and all the Protestants were offshoots that got mad at the Catholic Church. And, uh, you know, I, I, I write about this in my sort of search for, a better understanding. A friend of mine's nine years old, a guy named Bob Byrne, and he kind of set me straight on this. He said, "Look, we're the church, the people, me, you, your family. The guys in Rome aren't the church. I mean, they're the the bureaucracy, but people are the church." And I think that gave me great comfort and reinforced things that I already knew. Is that uh, you know. People are what bring it up, not rules and regulations. My guest is uh, Joe Drape. He is uh, 
an award-winning sports reporter, and uh, yet that's very different from the book he has just written, The Saint Makers, Inside the Catholic Church and How a War Hero Inspired a Journey of Faith. Um, Joe, I was just wondering, is is this book a one-off, or are there other stories from the church that maybe you might consider telling? Boy, Tom, you sound like my editor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know at this point. Um, it opened a great many avenues to things I'm curious about, but at the same time, you know, there's things I'm curious about in the sports world. And I've started a news side, too, when I was a young reporter. So, I, I, you know, I just look for good stories, no matter where, what genre they fall in. And, you know, this is kind of fresh and new out in the world. Uh, I'll think about this and see what else comes down the path. And, you know, I, I this will be, this is my seventh book. And I tell people who one who who asked me about book writing and should I or shouldn't I and you know the the thing I say to them is you better really be curious and love your subject because you're going to spend an awful lot of time with it and if you don't and it doesn't interest you it's just work it's chopping wood and that's no fun right what um <laughs> what's the next bundle of wood you're going to chop joe I'm not really sure at this point, Tom. I, uh, I'm just you know, curious. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. people will have, you know, a project, uh, you know, already in the works when a book comes out. Well, it, actually, what I'm doing right now is working on a uh, miniseries adaptation of a previous book I did about Jimmy Winkfield, the last black jockey to win the Kentucky Derby. Did it in 1903. But that's the least interesting thing about him. He went to Russia. He uh, was a member of the Tsar's court. He fought the Bolsheviks and saved 300 horses on like a lonesome dove trail ride. He went to Paris during the Jazz Age, became a celebrity there, got run out at World War II, came back to Depression America where he was not even acknowledged because he was black and, you know, eventually made it back to Paris. That, that is the thing that I've been working on currently. Interesting. Um, Joe, we're just about out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website? I don't have a website. I have a Twitter feed, at Joe Drape. And, uh, you know, the book is available in your local bookstore. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's called The Saint Makers. And you can go to the New York Times and see my work there, too. Does uh, working at the New York Times give you any sway with uh, uh, who decides what becomes a New York Times bestseller? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, it's hard to even get reviewed in my own pages. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's actually one of those things that works against you because they don't want to sh- look like they show favoritism. Uh, nobody on staff can really review you, so they have to go out and get somebody outside to do it. So, uh, oh, that's you funny. know, it, things that you think are perks are really 
handicaps. Well, I you don't seem like somebody who's terribly handicapped, Joe. And I appreciate <laughs> you spending this time with me this morning. Best of luck with the book. Um, happy holidays. Same to you. Take care. See you, Joe. That was uh, Joe Drape. He is, uh, well, uh, uh, the author of six books, all kind of related to his award-winning sports reporting at the New York Times. Uh, but he has a new book called The Saint Makers Inside the Catholic Church and How a War Hero Inspired a Journey of Faith. We're going to take a uh, break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music> Sometimes our daily lives don't go as planned. Got to roll with it, enjoy the ride. Keep him in your heart, and things will go right. And your life can be beautiful, so true, so pure, so wonderful. Yeah, Jesus. I believe in you We're blessed in so many ways We don't understand The master's plan we cannot conceive Oh, with you in my life I feel so right Knowing you're there watching over me so true, so pure, so wonderful, yeah, Jesus, I believe in you. So many people, they don't know you, they need to know you. I believe in you I believe in you I believe in you I believe in you Living in the now is what he wants us to do about tomorrow or yesterday keep him in your heart things will go right knowing you're there watching over me so true so pure so wonderful yeah Jesus I believe I believe in you
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately and with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. by the name of Noah built an ark everybody knows he built an ark he said what did Noah do he said well he built an ark but very few <clears throat> people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah you see Noah was in his rec room sawing away he was making a few things for the home there he's a good carpenter Vuba, 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 Vuba. Noah somebody call Vuba, Vuba, Vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. (laughs) I want you to build an ark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What's an ark? (laughs) Get some wood. Build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. uh. Well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female and put them into the ark. (laughs) Right. Who is this really? (laughs) What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. Am I on candid camera? How you gonna do it? Gonna make it rain for a thousand days and drown them right out. Right. Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. Right.
just wondering, what would be the effect of an arc on the average neighbor? Now, here's a guy going to work seven o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the arc. Hey, you up there. What do you want? What is this? It's an arc. Uh-huh. You want to get it out of my driveway? I got to get to work. Listen, what's this thing for anyway? I can't tell you. Ha, 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 ha. Well, I mean, can't you give me a little hint? You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? Ha, 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 ha. Of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He, he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, Two mosquitoes, male or female. <laughs> and uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else. And his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. <laughs> so we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. Why not bring nothing in? You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I have the, the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me, you're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah, listen. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked up there laughing, I hear them all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an arc. People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there, how you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. Here's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom, right on top of the All and see all, like I said before, you let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's gonna clean up that mess down there? That's me. I'll tell you that I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm letting all these animals out, and then I'm gonna burn down this ark, and I'm going to Florida somewhere because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this mess. You're pulling around, and you haven't done nothing except as you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was... Okay.
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Sumner. 